Welcome to episode 44 of Girls on Pop. I am your co-host, Brain Antunes, joined today by fellow co-host. I am Ashley Lynch. Miss Lynch, how have you been? I am doing fantastic. I went on a little bit of a home theater adventure recently. Oh, share. Well, my TV was dying. It kind of developed like this purple spot in the middle of it as one of the LED zones was like sort of dimming, I guess. And it's just like, okay, I've had this thing for like, I guess it's not that long, you know, six, seven years, something like that. In TV terms, that's long. It shouldn't it's be. It's ancient. It is. It, it's ancient uh, history. So I went looking for a new TV and I wanted to get something like really good, something that really popped, but also wasn't going to like completely destroy me financially. Uh, and I ended up, um, I mean, you know, use your own metric. I spent about two 2000 on the TV, but I got one of those like new OLED TVs. And my God, the thing is absolutely amazing. Like truly every frame is a painting on this TV. It just like the, the luminance of this thing. is just, it's absolutely awe-inspiring. It is like the single most impressive TV I have ever watched in my entire life. I absolutely love the thing. Uh, and and that was that was actually like about I don't know like a couple of months ago that I got that TV so that's not that new, but it sent me on this whole journey where I decided you know what I don't really love my surround sound speakers the speakers that came with the the surround sound amp and it's like I I feel like I I feel like I need better speakers for this thing. And so I did that. I replaced the center channel. It's like, oh my God, I can hear dialogue. It's not like being muted out by the music anymore. It's like every it's it's not like it's not like everything was being mushed down to a single channel because I have surround sound. I've got like the five speakers and the subwoofer and whatnot. But it's like the quality of the speakers that you get for your surround sound setup makes such a big deal in terms of interpreting that mix. And so you don't end up with that problem where it's like, why can't I hear anyone in this movie? And that led me to wanting to replace the other front speakers. And so instead of like these tiny little bookshelf speakers that I was using for left and right channel that came with the amp, I replaced them with the giant ass tower left and right channel speakers um, from the, the Clips Premium series. And oh my God, it's so good. The sound that comes out of my system is so nice. It's like if you're wondering why you're constantly playing with your remote, trying to like hear the movie, but then also like turn down the volume for when action starts or when the music kicks up, it's because your speakers suck. Yeah. And that's a horrible answer because I just dropped like something like about eight hundred dollars on the you know the total of these three new speakers. It's not a cheap solution that everyone can fit into their budget but i'm enough of an insane person that like and i spend enough time watching movies that i appreciate that value um it's definitely a me thing but it sucks that the answer to why can't you hear your movie is because you haven't dropped a k on sound yeah i mean we upgraded our tv our tv is now i think two years old and it's an LG OLED. And I remember mm. we had seen, I can't remember what movie it was, but we had seen a movie and there was an entire scene where we really couldn't make out what was going on because it was shot, it, like it was in dark, it was at night uh-huh. and there was very little light and we couldn't really make out what was happening on screen. Literally, it was like a black screen and all of these sounds and we're like, what's going on? Mm. And then we rewatched it 
that scene after we bought the new TV and it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now that's what happened in that scene. It's very nice. But I mean, I, we, I remember that's what was like watching the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS. Right? Like there's this whole scene where Leatherface is chasing her through the woods at night. And on VHS, the only thing I do was hear screaming and chainsaw sounds. I couldn't see a damn thing. And it wasn't until I saw that movie on DVD that's like, oh my God, I can make up details in this scene. It wasn't this shot. It wasn't just a black screen. What? Yeah. We actually, and we do have a, a 9.1 surround system. We, we added we added back speakers a couple of years ago. But we bought a, I think ours is a Dimension series. I can't remember. We had bought a kit. Like we bought a a receiver, a really fancy receiver that we've since upgraded to an even fancier receiver. And we had bought a set of speakers to go with it. It was a 5.1 channel sound. And the speakers are really, really nice. At the time, I think the kit cost something. It was really inexpensive. It was like $1,100 or something speaker wise for mm. you know it was inexpensive for that yeah. for that price you we can went easily spend 10,000 on oh speaker. easy easy so w- when we were looking to upgrade to the 9.1 we went out to the place where we had bought the speakers because we really like the guys out there and we're like oh so we want to get two matching back speakers blah 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 and he gave quoted us the price of the speakers in the years since we've bought those speakers one speaker is now $400 I'm like okay no that's not happening I'm sorry I'm not spending $800 on two speakers for back sound it's just yeah. not gonna happen. So he's literally sold us some speakers that were mounted on the wall, <laughs> but they hadn't used. The, they like they were. He's like, I'll sell you these for two hundred. I'm like, sold. The sound is. They sound great. I mean, for what they're doing, they're perfect. But yeah, oh. we have. I, I have to say, Dan has set up that front room. Like it's 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 choice. It's choice. Right. It sounds really good. It, I think I, we generally don't go over like twenty two. Because anything higher than that, like we're exploding the the basement, like the house is just going to explode. That's the one thing I haven't done is gone up to like past 5.1. I haven't haven't tried to do the 7.1. And even when I look at like I've ripped every disc that I own to put on my Plex server. So you can see like exactly like how many movies do I have even have a 7.1 mix on them versus a 5.1. It's probably only a good like. 8% 8% of my Blu-rays have yeah. even have a 7.1 mix. Yeah. So I haven't bothered to make that upgrade. I don't, I don't, maybe I'll do that eventually. Who knows? But for now, 5.1 serving me fine. Yeah. Honestly, we pretty much only use it with, um, I think Disney plus uh, uses Atmos. Um, and that's really nice. Netflix, we don't have the plan that has that service. Like we have oh. like the lower tier plan because I refuse to pay any more than I already do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know that there's like different qualities for audio and video. But um, yeah, I, with with Disney, it's really nice to be able to see things like in 4K, Atmos sound, all that fancy stuff. So. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Hey, that's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, so it's nice being able to finally hear my movies. <laughs> I will also say there are some pretty decent like sound bars out there that do like surround sound. The, um, we just helped a friend set up. I think it was an LG sound bar that came with some speakers and a little subwoofer. And like he's got a pretty small apartment and it does a pretty nice job of the 5.1 surround for like a $800 like Ooh. kit. Uh, straight out of the box, it's pretty good i was pretty impressed 
I haven't mm. looked into like how sound bars actually work, but are they like mushing everything down to like a single channel or, or like two channels? No, it depends, I guess, on the soundbar that you get and how much you spend. Some of them will do that. They'll give you like, they say it's like a 5.1 surround, but it's not really. Uh, some of, depending if you spend a little bit more, they do have multiple channels in the front. Like this one has three channels up front and two separate speakers in the back. And mm-hmm. it, it says that they generates the 5.1 by calibrating to your room. So it will do like a test and bounce sounds off the space to calibrate for best 5.1. And the calibration actually makes a huge difference. Like I highly recommend if you buy any sort of electronic equipment, like any sound equipment, always, 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 always do the calibration. It makes a huge, huge, huge yeah, difference. Absolutely. Huge difference. Because he had it set up without running the calibration and the specs because he didn't know how to set it up. Um, Dan set it up for him and like the sound difference was like, we went from not being able to hear the uh, the dialogue, like it had to, the TV had to be turned up to like 40 or something. And once it was done, it was down to 10 and you could mm-hmm. hear it even louder. Like there was the, the sound mix is much better. So it just depends on how much you want to spend. Really in the end, there are lots of different yeah. options out there. I mean, until I hit the lottery and can build an in-home theater with like we, projection we, and speakers we, built into the walls. I've seen some pretty sweet like home theater setups, but we watched a video for this house in Los Angeles called The One. It's ridiculous to call it a house. It's a fucking compound. Like the only, we were joking. The only thing this thing needs is a grocery store. And then you, it would be like its own enclosed city. It has like 40 bedrooms, like no 21 bedrooms, like 45 washrooms. Uh, it's all like, it got everything, but mm. the, it, the, the theater room is this 50 seat Atmos theater. That's underground. It's, it's wow. choice. It is choice. I'll put a link to the video on the, the show notes. Absolutely. It, it's interesting to just read the, the history of this house because it has quite a history. <laughs> but the video room is like the in-home theater is the best. And it comes with an attached, like a next door attached candy room. So you yeah. can get your candy and then go into the theater. I you know, that was always my dream. Like when I was a kid, I saw like, you know, some sort of like lifestyle of the rich and famous show or yeah. stuff like that, where someone right. had like a theater in their home. This was their thing that was their big passion. They had like a movie theater, but out front they had a working concession. It was just like this concession that no one operated. It was just like a place, you know, get some popcorn and junk food and whatnot. He just wanted like the full movie theater experience inside of his home. And ever since I saw that, it's like, oh, my God, that's the dream. And I've tried to get there as close as I can within my limited means. And for me, it means like I do have a movie theater popcorn machine in my house, a small one, but like an actual like kettle popcorn machine. Um, And that in a soda stream kind of gets you where you need to be. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. It's yeah. Pretty close. That's what I need. I need a popcorn maker. I went so far that I even got like bags like you get in the movie theater for popcorn. Nice. Bags. Nice. So, they say yeah. popcorn. They do. They absolutely nice. do. I rarely use them though because I got enough of those like metal buckets at yeah. movies for various movies. I have a Captain Marvel bucket and a Dungeon There you Dragons go. Bucket. Same thing. And that's <laughs> and that's what we usually use when we have popcorn. And hey, it's the same thing essentially. So yeah. hey, why not? But I mean, let's talk about some movies. This is a perfect segue. We are here to talk about movies. So let's talk about some movies. Let's, let's talk, talk about ab- some popcorn movies. Yeah. Well, this is exactly it. Why don't you start with 
the Meg two or Meg two. Yeah. Meg two, the trench. Yeah. Since Um, it is like the most recent release. Yeah. This is a sequel to the big. So you kind of, if you saw the first one, you know, kind of exactly what you're in for. Um, I was really on the fence with the first Meg movie. I didn't love it, even though I found it enjoyable. It's a very dumb movie, but it's like whatever. And I was not that excited for Meg 2, but also it's directed by Ben Wheatley of all people. Ben Wheatley is directing a Meg movie, director of High Rise and Free Fire. And it's like, okay, let's go. And so I dive into this thing and it's like Jason Statham's back and he's, you know, basically leading this underwater expedition for reasons to giant monster territory of like creatures that just like live so long under the ocean, you know, so deep that like they've, they've turned into just like literal, like, you know, kaijus essentially under the water. Um, the first half of the movie I was not really on board with, where it's just like a less interesting version of the movie Underwater, uh, that one with uh, Kristen Stewart that came out a couple of years ago. Um, but once he hit the second half of the movie, and it basically turns into all of these like giant octopuses and giant sharks and shit attacking this resort island. Uh, in the South Pacific, I thought was, that's when it really kind of came into its own um, and became a really enjoyable monster movie. Uh, And I kind of loved the second half of the movie. And I figured out like partway through this movie, it's like how to enjoy these movies. Because like, like I said, it was not really like on board with the first movie. "Eh." And the problem is if you go in really wanting Jaws, you will be disappointed. If you go in with your expectations set at Jurassic World, not Jurassic Park, but Jurassic World, then I think you're going to have a fun time. I like this better than Jurassic World, personally. Um, I think the other thing to remember is that like these Meg movies are primarily not actually made for a North American audience. They're almost entirely funded by Chinese money and they are made for the Chinese speaking market uh, because they love American action films. They just don't want to pay for American goods. And so instead they just make their own American action films. And that's exactly what the Meg is. It's, it's the Chinese market making their own American action films. Yep. Totally allowable. Yep. I still haven't seen this. I, I, I'm on but the you've fence. Seen the, you've seen the first one, right? I, I, I liked the first one. I actually really enjoyed the first one. I thought it was like pretty fun, stupid action. And mm. I, 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 I'm curious to see this one just because it's Ben Wheatley. But at the same time, I've been, I've kind of put it on the back burner because I'm like, do I really need to watch another stupid movie that I might or might not enjoy? I mean, kind of put it on the same level as the first one, even though it's Ben Wheatley, there's nothing here. It's like, oh, Ben Wheatley really freaking brought it and like elevated this series about a giant shark. No, no, it's it's exactly what the first movie was in, in a lot of respects. I love it. I love it. Um, I took myself and Dan to the movies to go and see um, Gran Turismo, which... 
I I like I I was I had determined myself that I was going to see this theatrically if it fucking killed me. <laughs> so I was very thrilled to discover that it was still playing. I was actually quite surprised by the selection of movies at the local landmark. I think that they have like a movie for every screen. Like everything is still playing. It's great. I remember in the middle of the summer, it was like you had three movies to pick from. Right now, there is a lot to pick from. I mean, some of it is stuff that's been out for a while, but still, if you haven't, you know, seen Oppenheimer, there's still lots of chances to see it. So go figure. I I was very happy, needless to say. So I went to see Gran Turismo. Have you seen Gran Turismo? I have not yet. Okay, so this is Neil Blomkamp. That was the selling feature for me. I saw the trailer. I'm like, what, what Neil is doing? A what, what now come again? Um, and then we went to a talk at SIGGRAPH where they were talking about the making of the movie and how most of the racing sequences are actually done practical. And I'm like, so you hire the guy that makes, you know, really impressive VFX movies to give you a practical action movie. Like, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. So, okay. It makes sense. It totally makes sense. Uh, the movie does have a lot of visual effects. It does have a lot of um, uh, practical driving effects as well. Uh, it's really good. I mean, it's a bit cheesy. It's based on a true story. So you have that going for it. It's not like, it's just not cynical. Like I I saw a, um, a letterboxed review where like there, somebody said that it's like um, the Fast and the Furious, but without the cynicism. And it kind of feels a little bit like that. Some of the visuals, the thing that I didn't like about it probably the most is they they cut to these shots of like the engine the like the internal engine parts moving and i'm like okay this feels like 1999 fast oh. and the furious but beyond that it's actually really cool i mean it's a great story to begin with uh so uh yan um uh, uh Kewi, I think is his name, British, now a British like car racing driver. But the, the conceit of the movie is that back in, I guess, the early 2000s, uh, Nissan ran this marketing campaign where basically they um, selected the top 10 best drivers of Gran Turismo, which was, at the, I think it still is, marketed as a sim game rather than a racing game. Um Oh, so sorry, not a game as a simulation rather than a game. Um, so they picked the 10 top drivers, sent them to basically a driving school for however many weeks. And then whoever won the driving school competition actually signed a deal with or what goes to race for Nissan. And if they manage to get a, a license, then they get a, a signing deal with driving for Nissan. And that's the basic conceit of the movie. You follow this guy who goes through everything and then becomes a race car driver. Because he was obsessed with driving Gran Turismo. It, it, there's a bit of drama. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit cheesy. But it's really well made. And it's really exciting. And uh, Archie Medwecki, who plays uh, Jan, is really charming. And David Arbor is great. Orlando Bloom is Orlando Bloom. Like, I don't, just don't even know what to say about Orlando Bloom at this point. But I was. it was funny to see... Um, Jerry Halliwell show up because she's for those in that art might be into spice racing. Girl. She's a spice girl, but she's ginger, also ginger spice. Yeah, but she's also married to Christian Horner, who is the the, the one of the team owners for Red Bull Racing. So oh, it was just okay. kind of funny to have like, I don't know, inside racing bullshit. 
but it was it was great. Like it's it's really exciting. The cinematography for the race sequences is really impressive. Um, I think I might have mentioned I've mentioned it on every podcast I've been on in the last like month or something. But it is worth after you've seen it to check out the making of with the cinematographer because they talk a little bit about uh, shooting some of the um, of the race sequences. And the movie does look really really good. I like the the. The bits that I like is how they incorporate some of the game uh, cinematics and some of the game images into the movie. It doesn't feel like super cheesy. Uh, It actually works within the storytelling, which is great. And there are some really great like visual effects uh, that, you know, look really good. So all in all, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I had a great, great time. I mean, I gave it four stars and I marked it as loved. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. To be fair, the Gran Turismo game has always been like a little bit more of like, I don't know if Simulator is going too far, but it's definitely tried to replicate realistic driving a lot more than other game racers. Like Forza is a game you can just pick up and slam on the gas and go as fast as you want and like have fun and just go bouncing all over the place. And Gran Turismo always had like a steeper learning curve because it's like, oh, here's what really happens when you go into a turn at 80 miles per hour. It's like go off the road and it's not a lot of fun. And, you know, I always found the game frustrating for that reason because that's not why I play racing games. I I play to be a little bit more kind of freewheeling and Gran Turismo really wanted me to drive it. Like I was really having to drive a race car inside of a video game that always felt limiting. And I didn't like it for that reason, but that is kind of like a very much an aspect of that series. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, you know, Dan and I talked about it afterwards because he's into Sims, but he does flying Sims. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, so this feels a little bit like Microsoft, uh, flight simulator i think it is and he's like yeah that's kind of a where gran turismo sat uh, like in the big overarching you know world of video games it was on par with the flying sim because of that exact reason you can't just uh-huh. it's it's it, it it adheres to the laws of physics yeah it was it was always kind of positioned as uh being the opposite of something like need for speed yeah Whereas, like, Need for Speed is all about, like, the thrill of speed. And Gran Turismo is all about, like, control. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say I would recommend it. I, like I say, it's a little bit cheesy, but I found it really exciting to watch. It was a lot of fun. I, I'm in for all of the race stuff. Like, give me all the car movies. I love them all. If you haven't seen Ford versus Ferrari, it's probably one of the best ones of the last, like, five or six years. I think it's only been that long. I, I can't actually remember when I saw it that. It is a good movie, and it's such a dad movie, but I found myself That's enjoying so it regardless. Good. Yeah, and 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 Michael Mann has uh, Ferrari. He's got a Ferrari out. movie coming out, which I'm excited for that because I'm always down for some more Michael Mann. Who isn't down for Michael Mann? Honestly, I I, I'm all about Michael Mann, and the fact he's making a racing movie is a nice bonus for me. <laughs> I mean, unless it's Public Enemies again, because I did not like that one. Uh, yeah, we won't go there. No. Um. Okay, let's watch. I actually was going to start with this one, and then I totally forgot. This is how memorable this movie was for me, <laughs> uh, because we've both seen it. But The Last Voyage of Demeter... Yeah, this is uh, this is basically like the the I guess 
prequel to Dracula. It's mentioned in the in the Dracula book, where it's basically like this is the voyage that he basically took from Romania to to I think it's London. Um, and is the ship that is unknowingly carrying the cargo of Dracula, the famous vampire. And this movie is more or less all about like the crew of that ship that discover that they have a monster on board. And, you know, famously the like ship arrives and like everyone on board is dead. Um, and so you sort of start out from this kind of like knowing position of fatality, um, which I think probably doesn't work in the film's favor that well but i actually really dug this movie um i thought it was a really cool kind of they do enough original stuff with the vampire mythos that it feels like it's doing its own thing but not so much to the point where it is going off book um i thought the makeup effects were really good i thought uh the direction was really good i really liked the performances um, I did not even even spot uh, David Desmalchian in this. It's like usually it's like it's a whole subgenre right now. It's like halfway through the movie, it's holy shit, David Desmalchian's in this movie. I fucking love that guy. I didn't even recognize him in this movie. Um, I don't know. I thought it was a really solid down the middle movie that was enjoyable. Is it overly memorable or overly great? Probably not. But I thought it was solid as hell and it was a fun watch i actually enjoyed it quite a bit i was really disappointed because i i had high hopes um i love a good vampire movie i love the concept here and the conceit the fact that you know you have you know uh, the whatever the movie's running time is just under two hours and you know that you know exactly how it's going to end you know they can't have nowhere to go. So it's like basically like a one location thriller with limited places to hide, if any. Mm. So I mean, I had really high hopes. I was really disappointed for whatever. I just found it really boring. Mm. Um, there are scenes like the cinematography I thought was really good, and there are scenes that I think are super effective. Um, and I do agree with you. Like as far as like the mythos is concerned, I had no, no issues with any of that. I was just really bored by it overall. I, I just didn't really care for it. I, maybe my expectations were too high, and I think they may have been. I just found it kind of just really boring, to be totally honest. The final maybe like 20 minutes when they decide that they're going to like fight back, I think is really interesting. And the way that they start like searching this ship and you get the feeling like that's the first time where you kind of get the feeling for the size of the ship, which I think is also something that they don't use all that effectively because mm. the ship is huge and you yeah. get these shots of this giant, you know, boat basically like in the middle of the water, but like it gives you no perspective. Like you have mm -hmm. no idea. And every time they go down into the ship, like into the the um, the the holds and whatever, you only see like little parts of it, but you never get a sense for how big it is until they make the decision that they're gonna go and they know that Dracula's there. They're gonna go and try to find him, and you're like, this ship is enormous. Like there, there's so much more you could have done. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I I thought 
the opportunity was there to do a lot more. So, and I, I thought that Andre, who's a really solid director, would do more with it. So I was a bit disappointed by that. Overall, I'm with you. I think it's very average down the middle. I think you enjoyed it more than I did. For me, there's a couple of like memorable like scenes that I think, oh, that looks really, that looked really cool. But overall, it's like, yeah, it definitely feels like a studio horror film. Yeah. It's very safe in that regard. Yes. Yes. Very much so. But I, much so. I I think it's an enjoyable evening regardless if, if you're looking for a horror movie to watch. I'm kind of curious to see what they do because they've left the door open for a sequel. And I'm like, what are you going to call the sequel? The meter be, two? Yeah, it, it'd be cool to see more um, because they basically kind of like, you know, spoilers. Um, set up like the surviving dude to essentially become like a vampire hunter mm-hmm. in London, which, okay, I'll watch that. Um, but this movie like bombed big at the box office. So I don't see the studio going back to this well anytime soon. Um, Let's talk. I don't know if you've ever seen. Okay. So precursor to all the movies from now on that are on my list. They're all old. I, mm. I, I have this tendency when I get overwhelmed um, to go through and do like menial tasks and the menial tasks that I've been trying to do for the last like three years was clean up my watch catch lists. Up on, catch up on stuff. First clean up the watch lists. Like literally I went through my Netflix watch list and my Amazon video watch list. I didn't bother with IMDb. I've given up on IMDb. So I I just use a, um, um, a letterbox now for my watch lists. So I went through and I cleared my watch list. I removed all the shit that was like, I'd watched halfway through stuff that I'm never going to watch again. And then I just left the stuff that I actually want to see. And I've been trying to actively clean those lists. Like I've been watching things from those lists, like with the intention of getting it down to as close to zero as possible. (laughs) And in the process, I've found all of these movies that, you know, I had added to the watch list whenever they were added to the streamer. And then you forget about them because you know something new comes along. Um, so I've been I've been doing a pretty good job of clearing my list. And one of the movies that came up as something that I hadn't even realized was on Netflix, though I at some point I did because I added it to my watch list. Kate Shortland made a movie a number of years ago called Berlin Syndrome with Teresa Palmer. I don't know if you've seen this. No, I haven't. Teresa Palmer and Max Raymelt. Uh, so um, Kate directed uh, uh, Somersault, which was the first movie I saw of hers, which is amazing. She's an Australian director, but I think most people will know her because she directed Black Widow. So she has some cred. Um, so this movie is interesting because like, I think the title kind of gives it away. So Teresa Palmer plays this Australian uh, photographer who is on holidays in Germany. She meets Max uh, they have a little like romantic fling at his place. Um, he leaves in the morning to go to work and she can't get out of the apartment. Uh, and he makes some excuse. And this goes on for like two days and she basically can't leave. And then she realizes that she can't leave for reasons. <laughs> he doesn't want her to leave. So it, it's a really great little um, thriller about this woman who's basically being held hostage by this guy. And I, it's not really the, the one downside to this is it's not really clear how long she's with him. But even though she's kind of on the surface appear, appears to be like giving in to his 
will. She's every opportunity. She's trying to find a way to, to like rescue herself. And the ending of the movie is like top notch. I absolutely love it. It's totally unexpected. You don't really know how it's going to end. And then the way that it ends is it's actually, it's surprisingly satisfying. Um, and I say surprisingly satisfying because it's not what you might expect it to be. It's not like your yeah. typical revenge ending. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. Perhaps one of the most interesting things about this too is the fact that I'm not used to seeing Max as a bad guy. I mean, he was in Sense8. I mean, I, he was like a lovable. So I don't know how I feel about that. Although but, he's kind of a little bit of a psychopath in that show too. Yeah, well, the psychopath clears here, continues here, but here he is not likable from the get-go. Like, you just get a sense that this guy is bad news from the very moment that she bumps into him. It's so good. I highly recommend it. Streaming on Netflix. Uh, it came and, you know, it's still there. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. I'd, I'd say don't sleep on this one. It's a really, really good one. Well, I have definitely added this one to my list. It sounds up my alley. Uh, let's talk about the blackening. Yeah. So just like the rest of your list is going to be old movies. The most of the rest of my list is all going to be stuff that I've been doing during my hundred horror movies in 92 days challenge, um, that you may remember. I'm currently, I've hit 75 movies on my, on my list and I still have like a month and a half to go. So I am very easily going to get to 100. My aim is actually going to be to do 150 by the time I hit the end of October. Um, And then I will have cleared through most of my backlog of stuff that I've like accrued and has piled up, which started at over 200 movies deep. Um, So one of the movies that I watched was uh, the fairly recent movie, uh, The Blackening. Um, which is a horror comedy uh, based on a uh, a comedy sketch that kind of went viral online a couple of years ago. Um, and the, the entire premise of the original sketch was that there's a bunch of, bunch of black friends up at a cabin and there's a killer outside who says, uh, I'm going to come in and kill all of you or you can send out the person who you determine to be the blackest. And then all of a sudden you have all of these people in all of these people inside trying to argue why they are more white and should not be considered the person to be sacrificed. And it, you know, it kind of gets to absurd levels, you know, where they're like, well, you have interracial parents. So, you know, it's like, well, well, you, you know, you you actually come from Africa. So like you're oh gee you're you're blacker than everyone else is like or how about this guy's like i can't be the blackest how come because i i voted for trump and it was like oh. <laughs> and it goes twice and then oh, Jesus. you know and so it kind of goes to those levels and it plays a lot on sort of like if if it wasn't very clear it's like the entire movie is about essentially what it means to be black um and it's sort of gets at all those varying um, degrees about which people in the Black community will measure Blackness, um, sometimes legitimately, sometimes artificially. And the actual, like, you know, harms that that can actually cause within the Black community. And that plays out as a horror comedy. And at first, I was really worried whether or not this premise, which is a 
ostensibly kind of a one joke if it could sustain over the course of an entire film. It would entirely depend on how clever the film is. And fortunately, the film is that clever. The film does manage to carry this premise all the way through the end and still continue to be surprising and shocking and entertaining and culturally significant. Um, I I thought this was a blast. I, I think this is definitely one that people should check out. If anything I said sounded even slightly humorous, then this is a movie that you should jump on. It was it was so much fun. Adding to the watch list. Yeah. Adding to the watch list. Nice. Um I caught up with um Benjamin Millipiet. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Uh, Carmen, which I think came out last year. It's um a sort of modern musical take on Carmen, the opera. It stars uh, Melissa Barrera, who was in screen, the screen movies. I knew I'd seen her somewhere when I, the movie started. I'm like, where have I seen her? She was in Scream 6. That's why she looked familiar. Oh. And Paul Mescal. And uh, so she plays this woman. Her family has been killed. So she crosses into the U.S. illegally, survives the crossing only be to only to basically be hunted down by this volunteer border watch guard guy played by Paul Mescal. And then they basically end up for reasons together and they go on this musical adventure. It's very loosely a musical. Like there are musical and dance numbers throughout. It's the movie's about two hours long. It's a little bit too long, I think, for my liking. Um they're both really great actors. Like I wasn't really impressed by her in Scream, but she clearly has talent. She's very, very good. And Paul Mescal is amazing. But the movie is just kind of messy. Like the musical numbers are not that interesting. The music itself is not catchy. Like it's just kind of a slog to get through, particularly like the last, I would say hour, like once they're in the U S and they're like on the run, the whole thing is just kind of like, just not that interesting, which is really disappointing because it, it sets a really great setup and the premise is so interesting. And it has some really fabulous visuals. Like if you watch the trailer, there are scenes in the trailer that you're like, wow, that's so gorgeous. And so much of it is shot in the desert. The cinematography is really beautiful. The movie itself just does not live up to the promise that it makes in the trailer. It's just kind of a dud, to be totally honest, which is really disappointing because it does show great promise. But at the very least, you get two really fantastic performances. I just wish the movie was better. It's just not that interesting. So. I would say maybe it's like a skip. I don't know. I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't a big fan. Well, I will not add to my watch list. Then. Yeah, I would say maybe skip it. But the trailer is very, very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about Noroi the Curse? Yeah, so this is one that um, I've, I sort of landed on this filmmaker during this horror challenge. I watched another one of his movies, it's a cult. Uh, and the filmmakers, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Koji Shira, Shireshi. Um, I know I've completely butchered that, but I do the best I can. Um, and he more or less kind of specializes in making, um, I don't want to say mockumentary, but like faux documentary horror, where 
he more than any other filmmaker, I think has really kind of landed on successfully making something that feels like it is a real documentary that you're watching where it has like enough of that, like info documentary style that the narrative kind of like disappears into the aesthetic of this thing that you've discovered. Um, and the closer you can get to that, the more kind of eerily effective it is. It makes it feel real. And I think this is something that a lot of found footage uh, filmmakers kind of miss. Is that like the more you can actually make it feel like a legitimate found thing that you've discovered, as opposed to just like, oh, it's just that the camera is with us and, you know, it's it has that immediacy. I think there's more to it that's required. And I think this filmmaker has really kind of landed on that aesthetic. And in this case, it follows the story of um, basically a journalist who has disappeared, but his investigation into um, all manner of things like uh, uh, people with psychic abilities and, and ghosts. And there's this entire sort of like mystery that unfolds as people trying to investigate both a missing girl and the disappearance of this journalist uh, uncover in this documentary fashion. And it feels really lo-fi while you're watching it, but it is also like so gripping and effective. And it never got to a point where I was like genuinely scared, but man, it was absolutely enthralling. And like for someone who does not like found footage as a genre, particularly because most of them just do not work for me. There are very few exceptions, but most of them just like they they end up feeling lazy to me and I don't enjoy them. Like the the conceit falls away at a certain point and it's just like you did what you could do. And now it's just still going despite itself. Uh, and Nora, I never really that doesn't happen. It it sustains itself all the way throughout the entire film and i really i really dug it um i believe it's still on shutter right now and you can see it there um yeah it's really good movie i recommend it and then i have to say the poster is creepy as fuck mm -hmm. <laughs> that is any indication the, the poster is super creepy um, I caught up with the God Committee, which is also streaming on Netflix. This stars um Kelsey Grammer and Julia Stiles, and really I hit play because I really like Julia Stiles, and she has not in enough movies. So yeah. the idea here is she and Kelsey Grammer, which is weird. Okay, I will grant you this right off the bat. They're having a relationship. <laughs> I have no idea what the age difference is, but it is significant. I am sure of it. So the movie opens. She's uh, he is like a a, a, a well-respected, renowned doctor. She is a young, recently graduated doctor. I think she might still be doing her residency or just out of residency. They're having this affair. Um, it doesn't end well. She's pregnant with this child. She doesn't want his help. But and they're they're kind of they're working together for a short period of time, and then their lives separate and they go in their own, own opposite directions. But the movie is really about the inner workings and the inner machinations of what is dubbed the God committee, which is a group of doctors. And I guess people there's counselors, there's a, 
uh, someone for a cleric, uh, sorry, clergy, um, that basically reviews cases for people that are on donor lists for uh, this particular hospital for basically new hearts. Mm-hmm. And the drama unfolds as basically they she gets a, a, a placement on this committee and they have a heart that's come up and then stuff happens from there. It's okay. Um, Julia Stiles is really fantastic. She gives a really great performance. There's a little too much going on. Like I, I wish that they would have concentrated more. And I say they because I forgot to write down the director's name. Like this is how memorable this was i actually thought that there was it was more interesting like the whole drama about the list itself and how people get on the list and the machinations that happen because it's always politics there's always money involved even with you know best case scenarios even with things like this so i thought that part of the storytelling was far more interesting than anything to do with their relationship between styles and and grammar and so i kind of wish that the movie had focused more on that i think it 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 keeps defaulting to that, you know, past relationship and this past romance and these feelings these two people have for each other. That's just like, it's unbelievable. You just, there's no chemistry there. Like you don't believe it at the beginning of the movie. And by the end of the movie, you're still not buying into it. So it just kind of feels ridiculous. Like that's what you choose to focus your movie on. But I think there is enough here to make this like a recommendation on my part. The performances are really good. The, the Some of the themes are really interesting. Uh, Janine Garofalo is also here. She's great. Um, and the movie does touch at some like and hint at some really interesting ideas and concepts. So I would say that it's it's a light recommendation on my part. It, it's not bad. And that's the God Committee. All right. Um, a boogeyman. Yeah. Um, so this is another movie that fits into my favorite subgenre of like, holy shit, it's halfway through the movie and David Desmalchian's showing up. <laughs> um, he's not in the movie very much, but uh, this is based on a Stephen King story. I have no idea where this story appears. This isn't like it might be in like one of his short stories in like Night Shift or something like that, but. Um, I don't think it's a standalone. I've never read the story, but this is a Stephen King property. Um, and this is directed by Rob Savage. He did uh, Dash Cam, and he's like doing much more kind of like polished studio horror here. This is, uh, this again, much like Last Voyage of the Demeter, is really kind of like solid down the middle horror movie. Um, again, it very much feels like studio horror. Uh, so you know, go in knowing that, but it's, uh, it's got Sophie Thatcher, who's, uh, from, uh, Yellow Jackets and also, uh, uh, Chris Messina as her father, who I always love when he shows up and it's always like a grab bag 50, 50, cause he's so good at playing like absolute fucking scumbag. Like if you need like an unethical lawyer in a movie, Chris he's your guy. Is, like he's the guy you want. But here he's just played, he's playing a wholesome father who has like a psychiatry practice in his home and he's doing the best he can, you know, because they've, they've lost the mother and, you know, everyone's like, it's sort of like a state of grief and he's just like trying to hold it together. And he's like a very, very, very empathetic, you know, uh, wholesome dude in this movie. So it's like the other Christmasina that we get in this movie. And he, he's good at that too. Um, you know, he's very multifaceted. Uh, but I don't know. I, really dug this movie it maybe like stumbles a bit towards the end but 
was a little bit predictable in places, but I thought the performances were really good. I thought the creature surprisingly looked really good. Um, and especially how much they choose to hold the creature back into the darkness. Um, I think it's actually very effective, especially for something that's uh, ostensibly as goofy as the boogeyman. I mean, a boogeyman is just like inherently goofy, but here they create a monster that I think is actually pretty, pretty scary and interesting. So it's uh, it's a another good solid horror movie. You're not going to go wrong with this one. It's funny that you say another movie into the entry if I didn't know David was in this. Because mm. we've been watching the 101 horror movies list on AMC. It's, mm-hmm. I think, co-produced by Shudder. And he shows up, like, through most of the list. And yeah. it's really funny because every time you see him, I'm like, wait, he's in that movie. The first time I saw him, I'm like, wait, why is this guy? I'm like, oh, that's who this is. He's I in mean- everything. Quick, quick sidebar. If you don't know David's story, his story is freaking fascinating. I, I, I heard him on, he was on some podcast and he was basically telling his life story and it was freaking wild where it's like he was, he used to be like a real kind of like suffering drug addict. And then there was like this drug dealer, something that like went wrong and he almost died or something like that. I can't remember the exact details. I'm butchering this a bit, but then he basically like got himself clean. And it was right around that time that Chris Nolan showed up in Chicago to shoot the dark Knight, And he managed to get a bit role playing one of the Joker's henchmen in the movie. And Chris Nolan took a liking to David and kind of like, gave him a more prominent role in a couple lines in the movie as a result of it. And from there, his film career just launched. And he is, I I liken him to Danny Trejo in the sense where like Danny Trejo is this guy who has like been through the shit. He's been in prison. And now he's just this guy who is thankful to be wherever he is. And so he's like, real positive energy and everyone loves being around him. And, you know, it's just like a guy you want on your film. And I think David is like that exact same kind of person. This is why he shows up everywhere is because people want him there, you yeah. know, and he's, he's pos- also really good. He is. You he know? is. That's like awesome. He, he's the guy who's playing the, um, I can't remember what, what ethnicity he's supposed to be in the, in the Ant-Man movies where he's the guy who does like the whole Baba Yaga speech. You know, in Ant Man, like the the guys at the security company that are working with Paul Rudd, it's like that David Deathsmile shit. And even though those characters weren't in Quantum Mania, they still found a character for him to voice a CG character for him to voice in Quantum Mania. So he's in the third movie too. You yeah, know? So it's like clearly a likable character. Yeah, he's everywhere, and I love him, yeah. and and I enjoy it whenever he shows up. Yeah, he seems like a lot of fun. Um, I caught up with Worth, which came out, I guess, in 2020. And I, I think it's worth mentioning because it's uh, a movie about the 9-11 um, uh, fund and the machinations that went into uh, building the fund, how they came up with the quote unquote equation on who would get how much. And it's basically a movie about, you know, the backroom dealings of politicals and lawyers um, and how, you know, the monies that were in this multi-billion dollar fund to help victims of 9-11 uh, 
get some restitution. It stars uh, Michael Keaton, who plays like the lawyer that's assigned by uh, Congress to basically operate the fund. And Stanley Tucci is this uh, grieving widower whose wife died uh, during the 9-11 attacks. And he is uh, basically pulled himself together to not sort of fight uh, these guys, but he has his own take on who should get what and how this uh, fund should operate. Um, It's not like this it's not an action movie. Like it's a very quiet, slow burn drama. It's a character study about like these people that are doing this impossible task. And a lot of the impossibilities that they, and the hoops they had to jump through to get people on board. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, the performances are fantastic. I was mostly surprised that in 2020, they were still able to make a nine 11 movie that is, um, impactful and and meaningful and has like the power to really like make you think about you know stuff like it's just it's just seems like so out of left field like this movie feels like it might be 10 years too late but it also feels timely um it's really really good it's a really great watch like it's loaded with a like a lot of people are in it. it has some really amazing performances across the board um and it's really worth checking out that was not intentional but I would I would recommend um, that it's one worth watching. It is really really a good watch. So I, I would say I haven't even heard of this one. No, and I like clearly it was on the list at some point, and then it got buried into the algorithm. Mm-hmm. It is a Netflix original film, and it's highly I highly recommend it. It's a really mm-hmm. really solid watch. Like in, you know, depending on how much people know, this is still shockingly an ongoing issue. Like it was just uh, one or two years ago that you know we got to see this incredibly impassioned speech from John Stewart, who has been spent the last decade fighting Congress to get benefits for the uh, the 9-11 uh, first responder firefighters who have been dealing with, you know, the fallout of their health as a result of being yeah. there on the ground. And Congress just seems to be determined to deny these people coverage and say that, like, oh, the symptoms aren't a result of 9-11. Yeah. Which is absurd to think of. It's, like, so petty. Yeah, and, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, when when the movie starts, like, you kind of, you jump in just after, like, he's basically being given this job and they've set up this window of time. Like you only had like a month after the event in order to basically like claim any sort of like put in a claim of any sort. And then they have to sign people onto the class action, but literally only like 5,000 people got any money out of it. Yeah. It was like the people I could develop symptoms long after that. Exactly. Exactly. And some of like some of the stories that they touch on, and I'm assuming that they're probably real stories, because I mean, with 5000 people, I'm sure there is a lot of drama to be found once you start digging into it. But I mean, some of it is just it's it's baffling. And I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things that that's a big point of contention is how they come up with this formula of who gets how much money. And it's yeah. like who is worth more 
and why than somebody else. It's really, it gets some really interesting ideas and concepts. And again, it's like this movie that's just so easy to kind of like write off as this like small time drama, but it's really, really good. And it really does get at some interesting ideas. I think it's an effective premise because there really isn't kind of a scenario in which you can imagine a better depiction uh, to like the kind of cruel neglect of government. Yeah. Like this is like open and shut clear. There's a very like hard morality to this that is like, you have to be a freaking monster to deny people health benefits for being 9-11 first responders. And yet that is exactly what the government is doing. They are being fucking monsters. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's worth noting that. So, I mean, the movie came out in 2020, but it it it's it's a dra- dramatizing event that happened right like up until i think it was 2003 or mm-hmm. 2004 so it okay. doesn't get into like the stuff that's happening now gotcha. uh, but it does it still that does come up this this concept of taking care of people long after the 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 event because there are ongoing health issues that is something that comes up in the mm-hmm. discussion as well it's it's a really solid watch i highly recommend it and like i say i think it was like buried by the algorithm so i wanted to mention because it is mm-hmm. a good one adding it to my watch list um unseen yeah so the unseen is one that uh i had unseen up to this point it sort of <laughs> slipped me by i mean it's a 2023 movie so it hasn't been out that long but i remember it coming out and it just sort of like passed me by and it went on to my list and you know came up in the horror challenge so it's like okay we're sitting down we're watching unseen uh this is a blumhouse film um and it is I would call it more of a thriller than a horror, even though it got tagged very much in the genre of horror. But it's the the poster did not really kind of like prepare me for what I was about to watch. Um, what the movie is, is essentially kind of a riff on that movie Cellular, if you remember that one with like a really young Chris Evans, where there's like Kim Basinger is being held hostage in an addict and on a broken phone, she manages to dial out and and get accidentally get Chris Evans. And now he's got to like stay on the phone with her to try to like find her and rescue her. Uh, This is kind of a similar situation where there is a young woman who has really freaking horrible eyesight and her glasses are broken and she manages to escape from her ex-boyfriend who has dragged her up to a cabin and is essentially intending to kill her because she broke up with him. And so she escapes, she's lost her glasses, but she has her phone. She manages to call this girl who's working at a convenience store in Florida. And she's all the way on the other side of the country. She's in like Michigan. And she's like, I need you to be my eyes so I can get out of this forest because I can't see. And so using the camera on the phone is like, you need to stay on this phone and guide me out of this forest before my ex finds me and kills me, basically, is the scenario that we've got. And so it becomes a combination of, like, the sort of cat and mouse chase of her trying to escape her boyfriend, and then also this young girl in a convenience store who has way too much kind of, like, on her plate. is like, I can't handle this sort of thing, you know, dealing with, like, customers and situations inside the convenience store and you know stuff bearing down on her as she's trying to like 
feel this like emergency phone call to a stranger she doesn't know. Um, and for the most part, the movie's like really good. It's like very much like in your face and aggressive and very poppy is the way I would put it um, in, in its presentation. And it's for the most part enjoyable. It does start to strain um, credulity a bit towards the end in manufacturing some weird scenarios, particularly with a uh, with Missy Pyle playing this like overly aggressive gun coding Karen that's upset for no reason, um, and maybe goes like a little overboard, but not so much that it breaks the film or anything. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It's, okay. it's very, very, very light, um, very easygoing entertainment, but I dug it. I kind of love that premise, though, this concept that you have to help me escape from this forest because I can't see where I'm going. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I'm curious about this. That's amazing. Um, oh, you caught up with Teenage Ninja Turtles. I did. No, I, saw the, I, I saw the... God... Four weeks and this was dumped on VOD. It's just like, it's amazing how short the window is these days. I mean, it's great because I didn't get a chance to get up to the theater and see it. So it's nice that it hit VOD. But God, everything's feeling so disposable these days. I hate it. Yeah. I, yeah. I absolutely hate it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I finally caught up with this. Um, honestly, I my reaction to the trailer is kind of the sort of the blessing and the curse uh, for both this film is that it turtles feels like we're sort of reaping the benefits of the success of across the Spider-Verse or into the Spider-Verse. Um, whereas suddenly you had this really um, uncharacteristic and unpredictable art style that elevated a film and the film was great on its own, but the fact that there was so much put into not doing it the way that most animated movies are done and giving you a very kind of work. It's just going to grab the style by its reins and show you something that you don't typically see. And that's one of the things that propelled Spider-Verse is huge success. And this Turtles movie is very much kind of following that paradigm. While it is like in style, very different from Spider-Verse, it's still very much going, okay, we can break stuff. We don't have to present this one style to audiences for them to be on board. Uh, and for the most part, it's really successful for it. It is a good, fun riff on the whole Turtles thing. It might actually be my favorite version adaptation of it as someone who read the old black and white comics from Eastman and Laird back in the day when turtles were first introduced. Um, so I really dug it. However, I think also Spider-Verse might be a little bit of a curse because it's kind of set my, my expectations for movies like this really high because the Spider-Verse movies are really good. And turtles is, just good. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I mean, I <laughs> Bill stopped talking to me for five minutes because I I like my personal preference if you give me Spider-Man, either of the Spider-Man movies and a TMNT, I'll watch TMNT first. I liked it mm. more. For me, it was a more enjoyable film. That said, I think that the thing that the Spider-Man movies, the animated films have done is they 
they they have reignited this conversation where animation can be more than what people expect. Like we expect more from Pixar movies because the Pixar movies are smart in addition to being yeah. really, really good. Um, and the Spider-Man movies, like across the Spider-Verse in particular, I think it expects it it gives you more like I think the first movie set that 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 bar really high where it gave you a really new and innovative, visually different looking animated film that also had a really great message. And the second movie kind of falls in that track. You know, it, it's still a really visually interesting film that elevates the messaging. Like it, it's there's more to it than just entertainment. For me, TMNT looks really amazing. And as much as I enjoyed it, and I did, for me, I it, it's more to my liking of like just entertainment. If I had a choice, this is the movie I would pick because it's more fun for me to watch. But the across the universe certainly, or sorry, across the Spider Verse has more going for it. Like yeah. thematically, it has more ideas. It has bigger ideas. The the stakes are much much higher. So it's a more adult movie, if I can say oh. that. Um, whereas for me, TMNT is just a lot more fun to watch. It's a little, it's lighthearted. The stakes are there, but they're not like end of the world stakes. They're two different things, right? Yeah. They just both happen to be animated movies that both have their own unique individual visual style. I will say this, and I think we we may have talked about this. I'm certain I mentioned it. Whatever podcast we were doing at the time that the first Spider-Man movie came out, that movie set the bar for what animation was going to be for the next 10, 15 years. Oh. And it's happened much faster than we anticipated. Like the it, it it really did break the 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 mold of what we expect from animation. And I mean, I think DreamWorks had been working in that, pushing the envelope a little bit. I mean, their movies really don't look like any of the other animated films, but it also opened the door for them to sort of push the envelope even further. And then since then, you've had the Puss in Boots movie, which looks like nothing else. Uh-huh. Arcane came before this. So I, I think Arcane is in its own league. We can't really talk about that. Spider-Man, this, the TMNT, and you look at some of the other animated movies that are coming out later this year and into next year, they all look a little bit different. And I think that's great for the medium as a whole. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, I, I will take TMNT over Spider-Verse any day of the week. I thought this movie was so much fun. It looks great. The The voice talent is fantastic. The action sequences are really, really well shot. Um, the music is top notch, mm-hmm. but then I'm biased. I'm a nineties pop girl. So this was totally up my alley. I, I love this movie. It was, uh, if also, you ask me I to, just, I just want to mention this movie score by Trent Reznor. I right bonus bonus bonus. Like, I did not know that Trent Reznor was doing the, and Atticus Ross were doing the score for this movie. It's like, I gained, I got halfway through the movie. It's like, I love the music in this movie. This yep. is so good. And I get to the end. Oh, of course, it's fucking Trent Reznor doing the score for this movie. I actually but, didn't know. But I, was- I agree with you. I think Turtles is very entertaining. I would choose Spider-Man over, over Turtles, me personally. Um, but I think one of the big reasons why Turtles never feels like it reaches the height of the Spider-Verse films, and it's just because it kind of lacks that level of um of character depth and 
and emotionality that the Spider-Verse movies get. And so the Turtles movies, as fun this movie, as fun as it is, it never really rises above the level of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, I can fully go. I can get fully behind that. Fully yeah. behind that. Um, okay. Strays. Is this the strays, like the new strays, or is this yeah, something this totally is, this different? Is, this is the, the talking animal strays. Why would you do this to yourself? I thought the trailer looked like it was cute and funny. It looked like there was promise here. It looked like it might be like a fun, raunchy comedy with talking dogs. Was um, it? I was actually excited to see this. This is, again, another one that, like, the VOD window was really short on this one. Um, Strays is bad. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to linger on it too much. But like, there really isn't anything in this movie. I didn't laugh a single time. I didn't hate the movie. I was barely entertained by the movie. Barely conscious through the movie. It was just meh. I mean, if you think dogs saying fuck is the pinnacle of comedy, then this is the movie for you. But there really isn't anything here beyond that. That's it. <laughs> the, this is this is a hollow shell of a film. Oi, oi. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to dwell on this movie too much because it was just, it was dull. But. Okay, well, let, let me let, let's talk about a little bit of TV and something that I think you actually might enjoy, and it. Surprisingly, it stars Chris Messina, <laughs> <laughs> which Perfect. I thought was interesting. And he is not like a creepy dude either. I mean, he's a bit weird. But so um, the show in question is based on a true story, which is available to stream on Peacock and is going to be making its, uh, I guess, cable television debut, at least in Canada. In uh-huh. I want to say it's like October on Showcase, I think um, it stars Kate. Uh, Kaylee, Katie, Katie Cuoco. Fuck, I've, I've, I wrote it down wrong, so I don't even remember what her first name is. Um, the woman from the Big Bang Theory and Chris Messina. So she is a not very good real estate agent. <laughs> and he is a once upon a time tennis star who now coaches at this fancy tennis club. Um, and uh, they are coming on hard times. And she is obsessed with crime podcasts, like pretty much everybody else in the universe. And there's there's this serial killer that is on the loose in, I think that they're in LA. I, I, I That's besides the point as well, but whatever. So they have, all of this is sort of like the setup of their lives. They're having an issue at the house. They call a plumber. The plumber comes machinations happen all of a sudden the plumber played by uh, tom bateman and chris messina are buds and then it turns out he might be the serial killer that's sold on the loose we don't know for sure but the whole thing here is they decide that they're going to launch their own true true crime podcast and um (laughs) it gets crazy from there it's the it's only 10 episodes Eight episodes. I don't remember now. I think it might be eight. Um, the The first one is, I think, an hour long, and then all of the other episodes are thirty minutes or thereabouts. It's really funny and really ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, Tom Bateman plays a really great serial killer, and Christmas Cena and Kaylee Cuoco are hilarious together. 
they're they're just they're very funny they're this couple that is kind of past their prime but they still really love each other and did i mention that they're pregnant well she's pregnant so there's this other this added drama of them not being not having a lot of money and now he's lost his job it there's so much happening but it's just a lot of fun it's very silly but it also deals or delves into this uh, current fascination with crime podcasts and true crime uh-huh. in general. It's very amusing. We really, really enjoyed it. I would highly recommend it. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and there are some really fun cracks at um, people that shall remain unnamed here. But it it's just it, it's very fun. I would I'd, I'd recommend it. I think it's a really fun watch. All right, I'm okay. gonna check that one out. Uh, telemarketers, which I've never heard of. Yeah, this is pretty recent. It's a um, three part like mini doc series um, on HBO Max, um, or I guess just Max now. It's, it, it's HBO. Keep it. You you want the HBO quality on there? This is an HBO original doc series. Um, and this is a freaking wild story that, like, God, I, it it can be boiled down pretty simply, but I think it is definitely worth watching. Um, which starts out kind of, um, it, it starts out at a telemarketing company. I believe they were called uh, CRG or CRB, something like that. Very like off the books kind of telemarketing company in the nineties. And the people who work there, um, and kind of like this, the scam that the company happened upon, where it's like they were essentially raising money for put, uh, police fraternal orders, um, and the scam would get more and more elaborate to the point where they were telling people, "It's like, oh yes, all of the money you're donating is going to." Uh, the families of of killed cops, or this is going to bulletproof vests for cops, or it got to a point where they were just calling and saying that they were police calling them. And what they discovered is like, especially when like they're calling for police uh, police fraternal orders, and people think the police are calling them. There's like that level of authority where all of a sudden people become scared to turn down uh, the telemarketers. And in reality, it's like 80% of this money that was being gathered was just going to the telemarketing company. Um, And what happens is this company ends up getting shut down. And that kind of happens like towards the end of the first episode of this thing. Uh, There's a big investigation. There's lawsuits and the whole company just like completely shuttered. And all of these total like weirdo losers that work at this telemarketing company are just kind of like thrust. It like pedals into the wind. Um, and what happens is a pair of them who were friends and worked there have basically de- uh, they learned that almost immediately this whole thing has started up again under a different name. And then they're starting to like recruit a bunch of the old telemarketers. And they sort of take it upon themselves to do investigative journalism and try to not only it starts out with trying to bring down these or expose these telemarketing companies and what they're actually doing, and then turns into going after the police fraternal orders. Um, 
that are knowingly using scam telemarketers to basically bilk retirees out of their money. And it goes off in some really wild directions, and it's all very kind of like, um, I don't want to say unprofessional, but it's like the whole thing is shot by these guys who are not documentarians or journalists. They're guys who have been turned into activists as a result of the job that they had. And that is sort of like they're shooting at themselves, and that's the stand from which they're shooting it. So most of the doc series is compiled with like their own footage that they've been shooting during this process. And it's just a really wild, interesting, and disturbing story that I think like this isn't a problem that we seem to have too much in Canada. I mean, we have plenty of scam calls, but it's like, you know, it's usually trying to, at least what I've experienced, scam people who English is their second language, you know, um, half the time they're calling and, you know, speaking Cantonese or whatnot. And it's like, okay, hang up. But in the States, apparently a large thing is raising money for these police fraternal orders, which uh, are all kind of like practically almost mob run organizations as it is like the, those uh, fraternal order police. They're like, they, some of them are pretty nasty. Um, and the, and this documentary just like shows so much on the inside of that. And it's fascinating. Wow. I, I just did a, like a, a very precursory Google search on the series and the articles that have come up are, Amazing. I think I'm going to have to add this to my watch list. Yeah. And it's, crazy. it's three episodes. It's a very easy watch. You know, it's, I, I think it's definitely worth it. I want to finish with this and I feel, I, I don't know what to think about this, but I, I, I've joked in the past that uh, Ty Sheridan is single-handedly keeping Paramount Plus alive. Mm-hmm. And I am convinced that that is actually the truth. Because I, I've, I've started to, I like, we've been watching um, as shows on the platform that, like, we didn't realize off the bat that they were Ty, Ty Sheridan shows, but it seems like pretty much every show on there is created or, like, he has some hand in it. I, yeah. Interestingly. Yeah. But the, the, one, the man is like a one-man powerhouse of producing at this point. And, I, you know, I'm kind of, I, I feel... I have mixed feelings about that because there have been, I I didn't think this when Yellowstone originally came out, but in the years since the show has been on the air and now there was that lawsuit with um, Kevin Costner and you look at the writing credits and there's been so much sort of backlash around how he operates uh, the writer's rooms and who gets credit for what. And Mm -hmm. Kind of, he he's a bully, clearly, and there is no way that one single human being can write this much television on his own. Like I find that impossible to believe, and the fact that people aren't getting credit where it's due is kind of gross, to be honest. On the other side of that, some of the stuff that's being produced is actually really good. So case in point, a special ops lioness, which has been marketed the shit out of like everywhere there is marketing for this. It happens to be a good series. So, Mm. hey, there is that. So this starts Zoe Saldana um, and Nicole Kidman is here as well, though 
her role is much smaller and to a lesser extent. They're also both executive producers on the series, which I think is worth mentioning. Whether this program is actually a real military program or not, I don't know. I really don't care. I I didn't care enough to look it up. It might be. I have no idea. But essentially, Zoe Saldana is uh, the head of this or running this op uh, that they 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 codename Lioness, uh, where the the idea behind the the operation is that they take Marines, uh, embed them into a high target lives, and then you know they try to take out the high target asset. But the way they do this is by using the women in these people's lives. So in the case here is they bring in uh, this woman um, played by Lila de Oliveira, who is fantastic. Um, they embed her with the the fiance of this guy. And at first you think that the boy, the fiance is probably the target. Turns out the target's actually her father, who is basically the bank for the middle east so he has the, the concept is that he has uh he has money laundered and lent money and basically acted as a banker for everybody like from the taliban to any sort of like dirty secret operation that's ever operated in the middle east in the last 25 years he has put money into it basically so they want to kill this guy um, and the, the 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 series follows this group of people uh, as they are basically embedding this woman into the friendship, and then how the actual op is playing out. But then you also have like the personal drama that Zoe Saldana is working with at home. Um, you have Nicole Kidman, who is very cold and detached. <laughs> As she often is in movies, uh, and on on a more political side of things, um, it's a really fascinating series. It's really engaging. It's really well acted. Uh, I cannot like underestimate how good uh, the Oliveira is. She is so fantastic in her in this role. It's a really solid, solid, solid series, and it ends, and then it just ends. Like they get to the end of the thing and the whole thing just like stops there. You don't really get in a lot of time to reconnect with these characters. And you're like, are we going to get more of the series? Like, I have no idea. It's really good. And it, it, it delves into some interesting political um, ideas that you don't really consider until they're like right in your face. It's good. It's all the last like three episodes I thought were like, Really great filmmaking, like super, super, super good. But again, I feel kind of gross about the fact that it's Tyshire. <laughs> and he is literally the only writer that gets credit on any of the 10 episodes. So to me, that is every time I see his name, I'm like, oh, oh. That, that's kind of I want I, I don't agree with it, but that's kind of normal where it's like you yeah. have a writer room as the head on a TV series as the head writer yeah. who gets credit by default. And it becomes a big deal yeah. when you actually get credit yourself on an episode. Yeah. And it's for better or worse, this has become the method of moving writers up through the writer room. Yeah. And it's kind it's it's also like to touch on this is part of what like the strike has sort of like touched on yes where it's like the 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 networks and the streamers that are trying to like minimize this but this 
but the writers are essentially, no, this is our process. You move up through the writer's room this way, and this is how you become a showrunner. Yeah. And the streamers and studios are, are are messing with that process to the point where there's no one who's going to become a showrunner. There's going to be a future generation of showrunners that are just missing and are yeah. non-existent because of them meddling and trying to reduce people in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's while I don't agree with the credit um, portion of that necessarily, this is the process that has been in place for a long time on television shows. Agreed. Agreed. And honestly, I, you get, you really get the sense uh, watching like various shows on different platforms you get you really do get the sense of who's holding power and Mm -hmm. how who is giving credit to whom because i mean you can tell that some showrunners are much more open to sharing than others yeah (laughs) i don't know ty sheridan just he strikes me as kind of a bully Uh, yeah i don't disagree with that yeah i mean i've read a couple of articles where he is basically like they've been people talk to him and he just comes across as this kind of a dick um, everyone's just, blowing smoke up his ass right now and he's like pretty much and you know you, what? what are you gonna do not take my shows you all want my shows oh, this is it people are watching his shows like the, yeah they all want his stuff and i mean you know i hate to admit it but it's all pretty good like yeah. I, I really liked the sylvester stallone show as well which was you know unexpected so i don't know but this one I thought was really good. Um, it it's very very interesting. It's really well. Oh, and it's um, it is shot by. Oh, I should have written it down, guys. Am I gonna Tom Hillcoat? Okay. I didn't have to look it up. I remembered. It, a lot of the episodes are shot by Tom Hillcoat, so you know mm. it's gonna look fucking amazing. It's really good. I highly recommend it. Uh, but it's only available on Paramount Plus. So, however you want to subscribe to that. It is now available in Canada, and it's not that expensive. Yeah. So. I I haven't seen this show yet, but it is one that like it sort of is on my list. I'm sort of like, okay, set that one aside. You know, after the horror movie challenge, I'll dive back into some of these TV shows that I'm missing. And that was one of them that I wanted to catch up on. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, anything else before no. we wrap things up? Um, not really. I mean, I I think just like very briefly, I'll mention last night we watched uh, a movie from like um, one or two years ago called Project Wolf Hunting, which is a Korean, um, it's more uh, an action movie, I'll call it an action thriller. But it really kind of also lives in the horror spectrum, where it's basically like, here's a ship full of criminals that are being transported, um, you know, to to Korea. So you got a ship full of a bunch of cops and like a bunch of prisoners and then a bunch of like criminals hop on board to stage essentially a jailbreak. And there's something in the cargo hold that's worse than anything. And it's basically like this one dude that's like the uh, is basically like a project alpha experiment where he's like unkillable and is like super strong and his eyes are sewn shut and so he's just like going around the ship it's like it's sort of thing where like when he punches you he doesn't just punch you it's like your jaw breaks off and like this is a movie this is one of the bloodiest films i've ever seen in my entire life it's like geysers of blood happening that like the kills are so fucking brutal in this movie there's so much blood 
It is absolutely nuts. There's so much graphic violence in this movie, but it's it's done with this level of if you sit there and you watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie and as he's killing people, you're just like, yeah, that's enjoyable. The more the more kind of outrageously graphic, the more enjoyable it gets. That's what the the premise of this movie operates on. And so if you like that sort of thing, it's like like I say, it's very horror adjacent. Um, it is a really wild and fun movie. I enjoyed it a lot. One of the things I noticed that's uh, currently having a resurgence is the like, Gojira. There's yeah. like a new Godzilla movie coming. There's a new Monarch series coming. Yeah. Well, Legendary's been building that whole thing for a while. Where it's like they did like you know a Godzilla movie every few years, and then they did the King Kong movie, and then King Kong versus Godzilla, which I actually, I don't like the Godzilla movies, but I did like the King Kong versus Godzilla movie. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, it's it, I'm I'm really touch and go about whether or not I enjoy these things. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very I, I'm the same. They're, it's not my like monster movies are okay. Some of them are better mm. than others for me. But I just I, like every time there's something new. Like we watched the the because the co the 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 Godzilla movie is a Koho production, like straight out of Japan. Mm. Um, and then the series Dan's like, did you see that there's a new um, Monarch trailer? I'm like, what? Like different. Than- and yeah, it's the the series on yeah. uh, Apple TV Plus. So yeah, Godzilla's really having a moment. I think one of the, the most interesting things about that Monarch series is that they've gone this route of they've cast um uh oh what's his name um Kurt Russell oh in, yeah yeah in, yeah in the show and it's it takes place in like two different time periods and so they have white russell playing his son they have his son play play or sorry they have white russell playing like younger him um yeah. in the show which i think that's that's really neat that's inspired and i like that idea you know yeah. having having his kid play the younger version of himself that's pretty great yeah so it's uh, i just thought it was, it was just interesting that all within this kind of like two weeks there were these two different Godzilla things and I I was very confused. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla's alive and well right now. Apparently, apparently. Um any other thoughts before we wrap things up for today? No, no, I think that's that's it for me just, you know, take a look and see it if 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 a a speaker upgrades in your future. <laughs> Maybe not in my future. I think I think we're okay for the time being. It sounds like you're set. Yeah, I think we're we're okay for a while. Uh, but uh, come on by etcpod.ca, check out the links to all of the stuff that we talked about today. I'm sure our next episode is going to be more horror movies, more stuff from the back catalog. I did start, in addition to clearing my, you know, virtual or my digital to watch list, I still have stuff on my shelf that I haven't watched. <laughs> but I will slowly make my way through. I have so much. Yeah. I used to have a to watch shelf, but now it's multiple shelves. Yeah, I I gave up on keeping it separate. And the last time I reorganized the shelves, I just mixed everything in. And the other day, I was walking by, and I'm like, "Oh, I should probably watch that, shouldn't I?" So I think I'm I'm gonna be. I've learned that if I mix it in, I will never get to it. Case in point: during this horror movie marathon that I'm doing, I finally got around to watching The Orphanage. Oh, the yeah. Orphanage is a movie that I have had on DVD for over a decade and has not made its way into my machine yet for whatever reason. 
And this marathon became the excuse to finally put that disc in the machine. It's like, it pains me having movies that I've owned for that long and have not even watched. I don't, thankfully, I don't have that many. There's literally maybe like five or six. Uh, so I know, and I know which ones they are. Mm. And uh, yeah, I need to, I need to get those. But we will be back in a couple of weeks time with another episode. Until then. Uh, insert catchphrase here. Opening and closing credits are Happy Alley by composer Kevin McLeod. For more information, visit incompetech.com.